Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and AJ. Joining us now is the man who had hockey scouts buzzing when he posted back-to-back 80-plus goal seasons with Medicine Hat of the WCJHL. New York Rangers selected him sixth overall in the 1976 amateur draft. He made the New York Rangers as a 20-year-old, had an amazing rookie season, scoring 56 points in 59 games during that rookie season, including a Rangers record of 32 goals. October 12, 1976, Don Murdoch tied Howie Meeker's record for most goals in one game by a rookie with five against the Minnesota North Stars. It is a thrill to welcome one of my all-time favorite Rangers, number 14 in your program, the man they called Murder, Don Murdoch, the WLA Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Donnie. How you doing, Mark? Good to be here. We're doing good. And, you know, let, let's start with your junior career with Medicine Hat. The Tigers had great coaching throughout their 46-year history, including the man you played under, who was the very first, in a line that's included Barry Melrose, Brian Maxwell, the t- current head coach, Sean Clauston. What did Jack Shoup mean to your career? Well, Jack was great. You know, there's a story to that because I was originally with the Camus Chiefs, and I went to their camp, and I didn't really want to... Things didn't work out there with me and the coach. They sent me back to the D.C. Junior Hockey League. And um, I was playing for Vernon, and we were the farm team for the Medicine Hat Tigers. They come in to play an exhibition game, and uh, we end up beating them 3-2, and I scored two goals. And that's when Jack Shoup, uh, next thing I know, he just went out and tried to get, tried to get me into Medicine Hat. But... It didn't happen that year, and then next year I ended up scoring 50-some goals as a rookie in Vernon. So I wouldn't go to Kamloops. I ended up, they thought we had a deal, came to Medicine Hat, and I started out there, and uh, they finally made a trade for me for a guy named Brad Gassoff, his brother Bobby played Bob Gassoff, right. blues tough guy. And that's how I ended up in Medicine Hat. But Jack Shoup was just a guy that saw something in me, and he just let me go as a goal scorer. And, you know, I never thought I'd have the start I did. But, uh, yeah, he was great, tremendous, and, and a great coach. You know, he coached Lysiak, Lanny McDonald, a lot of good Medicine Hat Tigers. It's interesting, too, because he also had, I think, a knack of finding right combinations. Your rookie season, you're on a line with future NHL or, you know, Mo Lukowicz and Tom Bass. That line scored 152 goals, 320 points, you accounting for 82 of those goals. What was it about playing with those two guys that the chemistry was just right you know, from the start? You guys tore it up immediately. Yeah, like, I mean... Luke, you know, Morris Luke, which he was, a, he was a guy that went in and, you know, we just kind of complimented each other. Tommy Bass was a really fast hockey player. He could get the puck, get it out of our zone. And Luke and I would just work in the corners and work it back and forth. And, you know, obviously we didn't think we'd have the start that we did, but we just seemed to know where each other were. You know, once you get on the ice, if I was crossing or Luke was, we just had, the, we had this knack of just knowing where each other was. It's pretty cool, too, because your rookie season, you're in a scoring race for, for the league lead uh, in goals. You end up getting that. But you're also right there in the scoring um, race. Mel Bridgman would eventually lead the league in scoring. Mike Bossy's second, you're third. What do you remember uh, about the scoring race between you and those two guys? Well, like I said, you know, 
you know, I, 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 like, I never thought I'd have the start I did, but, you know, things just kept going. And, you know, I didn't really keep focus on it till really after the All-Star break. And, and, you know, next thing you know, you're right up there. And, you know, I think Brian Trotche was there. And uh, Brian Sutter were all guys that had good, you know, had good years. So there was, a, there was two or three of us up there. And it would go back and forth. You know, I'd have a three-, four-point game. And then I'd kind of sneak up. And then Mel would get a two- or three-point game. And, you know, uh, it just kept going back and forth. And then at the end there, you know, you just tried to keep going as, fast, as much as you could to try to win the scoring championship. You followed that rookie season up with an 88-goal, 165-point season the following year. Drafted uh, second round, number 12 overall in the 76 WHA amateur draft by the Cincinnati Stingers. And round one, number six overall in the 1976 NHL draft by the New York Rangers. You're so young, and you're from Cranbrook, you know, British Columbia. So I have to imagine the first time in New York has to be somewhat of a culture shock. What do you remember about the first time you arrived in New York as a New York Ranger? <laughs> Well, I'll tell you, I still tell that story to this day. Like, I can remember, you know, when I was signing my contract, that, uh, you know, my agent said they want you to come down to New York to sign this contract. Well, me, I hadn't even been on an airplane. You know, we bust everywhere. I'd never never been on an airplane. I remember my dad was supposed to come with me, but he had a bit of a heart problem, so he couldn't come with me, and my brother came with me, who was playing in the NHL, and, and I remember you know, flying into Toronto, and I was just amazed. And then I can remember flying from Toronto to New York, and they were, uh, you know, they were saying, didn't say we're getting ready to land, but I could see the lights of the city 20 minutes before we landed. And I always remember getting into the cab from Kennedy Airport going into the city, and I'm just, like, amazed. You know, I just looking out the window, and my brother just was looking at me and saying, what do you think of this, kid? And I was just, you know, completely you know, you're blowing away, you know, and then to go to the Madison Square Garden, you know, to sign my contract, and, and they tell me I got to go to the fifth floor, that's where the ice is, so <laughs> it was just, uh, you know, it was just, uh, it was just blowing away, I mean, you know, to never be on a plane and go to, you know, I, the only place I've ever been that was any big was Vancouver, and to go into New York City was just, uh, it's just amazing. It's interesting, too, because John Ferguson's the guy who drafted you. He's also the head coach. You make the team out of training camp. Your first game that season is at Madison Square Garden against the North Stars opening night. You score the first Ranger goal of the season, and it's assisted by Phil Esposito and Ken Hodge. You know, when you think back on that first goal and the two men who assisted on it 42 years later, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you realize that first goal was assisted by Esposito and Hodge? <laughs> well... I mean, to tell you the truth, I can remember the first time going into the dressing room and seeing those guys, Roger Bear and, and Phil Esposito and stuff like that. But, I mean, it's, you know, it's, you know, and going on to the ice in Madison Square Garden is just the best in the world. I mean, I went out there and my heart's doing 1,000 miles an hour, and, and then you're on the ice in a power play, and, you know, not even, I don't even know how many minutes it was into the game, and then to get the goal, and like you said, have Phil Esposito and Ken Hodge assisted on his people, you know, two guys that I've watched growing up was just absolutely unreal. You get you score a second goal in that game as well. Six days later, against the very same North Star team, this time on the road, you have one of the best games by any rookie in Rangers history. You score five goals in one game, which at that point gave you eight goals in four games on the season. In 15 goals, you scored 15 times, and that included a successful penalty shot against Kurt Ridley of the Vancouver Canucks. You know, you talked about that great start you got, you know, playing, you know, back in juniors. 
What are you thinking at this point? You know, it, it, everything's coming so easy to you. Were you surprised at, at how many goals you had through 15 games? Well, absolutely. Like, I mean, you know, like in Minnesota, you know, the, you know, to get five goals in a game, I can remember there was like 10 seconds left in the game, and I was on the bench, and uh, Philip Rizzito came up to Fergie and said, hey, Fergie, throw the kid out here. Let's see if we can get him another one. And I remember the draw was in the corner, and Phil said, look it. Uh, you stand right here. I'll get you the puck. He says, if I lose the draw, don't move. I'll get it to you. And sure as hell, he gets the puck back to me. I rifle it in. But, you know, back to what you're saying, you know, you never – just to make the team is something that you want to try to do. But to have the start that I did, you know, you just get up in it. I remember just going into every building was just exciting, you know, just, you know, as a kid. And every time I went on the ice, I just wanted to try to do something. But to get the goals – that I did that quick of a start, I mean, no, I, I didn't think I'd have that start, but it just kind of, to me, it was like, you know what, I belong here. I can play here. That was basically what I was thinking. If you just tuned in, we're talking to former New York Ranger Don Murdoch. Your fast start absolutely made you a New York City fan favorite, and it should really be noted that while this is going on, your fast start, including that five-game goal, while that was happening, the Yankees were in the postseason for the first time in a long time. Your five-goal uh, night came while the Yankees were in a playoff game against the, the Kansas City Royals. And yet, you're still getting a lot of the attention on the back pages of the sports pages. Um, you make the all-star team as well. How, as a young kid from a very small town, are you now dealing with all this attention that's being placed on you? Well... Like you say, you, you you don't expect it. It's like, you know, I would go into Montreal, and then they, you know, every time I went into Toronto, Montreal or something, the reporters wanted to talk to me and talk about, you know, the, the five goals and the fast start. And, you know, in New York, you know, New York Times Magazine is coming to you. You know, everybody, these people magazine, everybody's coming at you. You know, like, I mean, you're just, I don't think I really realized it till later that, the publicity I was getting, you know, I just thought that was everybody kind of got that publicity. <laughs> and, you know, I didn't think I, I was anybody special. But then after you think about it, you know, it just seemed like a little overwhelming at times, you know. Like, you know, I, I knew I had a fast start and stuff like that, you know, and I knew it wasn't my good luck. But uh, it was something that I thought uh, it would be great, you know. It, you know, you just take it all in stride. Valentine's Day that season, your storybook season came to an end as you had a freak accident, catch your skate in the board, suffered torn tendons in your left ankle. Um, initially, the injury was only supposed to set you back a few weeks, but it ends up costing you the rest of the season. And surely the, the rookie of the year, because Willie Plett ends up winning it. Uh, almost identical stats. He played more games. Had you had those games, surely you probably would have won the rookie of the year. How frustrating was that for you? Well, it was very frustrating because... You know, like I said, things are going well, and it was such a freak accident. And, you know, and I thought I could, you know, get back. And, you know, they, they, we tried some different things, you know. Like I thought maybe I should have should have did my rehab a bit of a different way to make sure I could get back. But it, it, was, it was very disappointing, you know, like you said. You know, and then I wanted to try to rush to get back to see if I could get back games early so I could maybe get a couple more goals to maybe try to win the Calder Cup. But, you know, like, to have a guy have more games than you and our stats are pretty well the same, you know, it was, it was kind of disappointing. You know, you know I've I got to be honest, yeah, it was disappointing. Who wouldn't love to win the Calder Trophy and have your name on one of the best trophies, in, you know, one of the best trophies in national hockey 
You know, it's interesting because you and I spoke a few weeks back at length for my upcoming book about the 79 team, and we touched on the 77-78 season, which is the starting point for that book. And, and that season was the most trying of your career. Aside from dealing with the shoulder injury and y- your, your ankle and everything, you had the uncertainty of the suspension due to August you know, 1977 arrest at the Toronto airport for cocaine possession, which would turn out to be 40 games of the 78-79 season. It was obvious that moment in August 77 has had a huge and lasting impact on your life, as you told me, that no one really knows what you went through. Um, And it certainly was a different time the way things are now as far as treatment, intervention, knowing some of the signs, you know, bringing, you know, athletes that have never been in a a big environment like New York. That's all change. But back then, can you take us back and share some of the ways that that moment changed your life? Well, you know, number one is there's a whole story to that, but uh, it's, it was it was like to this day, like I said to you, Mark. To this day, it, it bothers me. You know, you're not supposed to live in the past, but to deal. You know, you remember, I'm still a young guy. You know, and I, you know, basically, I just wanted to run and hide. You know, like like I was ready to quit hockey. I was ready to just, you know, I had to go back and face my family. I had to go back. You know, we had reporters camped out in front of our house. My mom and dad were embarrassed to leave the house. I mean, you know, I, I put everything on that. And then all of a sudden, you know, my teammates and stuff, um, the fans, I mean, it, you know, it was just, you know, it was just to this day, like I, like I say, I still think about what would happen if it didn't happen, you know, how did I get myself in this mess? But to deal with it, you know, I was told to just don't go anywhere, go play hockey, go home high, you know, that was it, you know, it was like, Hey, Don, do you need help? How are you dealing with it? And, and what, you know, it was tough to have to go see my teammates again. You know, I had to play another year before I even knew what was happening to me. And, and to, you know, uh, it, was, it was a lot of stress on me. I was, I, you know, I was embarrassed to go out with them. I kind of just hid and hit out on my own, you know, type of a thing, you know. And, and it, it affected me. I mean, you know, I'd go into arenas and, and there'd be signs, there'd be stuff there. Like, I mean, how the hell do you think it affected me? It, 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 you know, it... I deserved it. I was the dummy that, that got caught, and I'll take the blame for it. I didn't plan on having it. There's a whole story to that. And um, I was as surprised as anybody to find that something that happened. But for me, as a young kid, I mean, what do you think happened? I mean, nobody came to me and said, hey, Don, do you need some help? Or, you know, I was just told, be quiet, let it go away, it'll all blow away. Well, it's not going to blow away. You know, nowadays, you got people, you know, they come in, they, they, they have them go to treatment, they talk to people, they get them back up, they come back on the ice, they get a standing ovation. You know, for me, it was just deal it on my own. And that's what I had to do. And it beat me up inside. I had to go out and play in the National Hockey League with this on my mind and stuff and try to try to focus. You know, it, obviously it, felt, it was hard with me. And I could talk for hours and hours of this stuff. Still this day, it still bothers me. You know, they say let it go, but, you know, I couldn't let it go, you know. Like, you always wonder what would happen. But, like I said, uh, you can't live in the past. But it was, it was a hard thing to deal with. It is amazing when you say what goes on today, and that's the thing that strikes me so, is first of all, the fact that it took so long for them to even suspend you, that you said you played an entire season, 
you know, after you got back from injury with this over your head. And during that season, you have maybe one of the most memorable goals of your Ranger career. You scored the overtime winner in the second NHL playoff game, your, your second NHL playoff game ever, game two of the 77-78 playoffs against the Sabres, one of the greatest you know, playoff games until the, the 94 Cup run. Um, it's our Esposito getting a fight with Rick Martin in the third period, a Ranger and Sabre goal waved off in overtime of that game before your winner. What do you remember about your first playoff game at Madison Square Garden and probably what every kid growing up dreams of, of getting an overtime winning goal on home ice in a playoff game? Well, uh, absolutely. Like, I mean, as a kid, you know, playing road hockey and stuff, and that, we always dreamed of that seventh game in overtime for the Stanley Cup. But, you know, to be, you know, for us to make playoffs, you know, what was it was a huge bonus, you know. And, and I remember, you know, we lost the first game, and, you know, we, we all kind of, you know, going to the game, we were down, we come back, we tied up. And, and I, I can remember, like, going in the dressing room, you know, who, are, who doesn't, you know, for us, Zito said, okay, who's going to be the hero tonight? We need somebody to, to be that hero for us, you know. And, and then you're sitting in the dressing room, like, geez, what a, what a great it would be to, to score the goal. But to me, I wanted to get out there. I wanted to be that guy. Yeah, I can hardly wait till I get back on the ice because I wanted to score that goal. I love that situation. You know, for me, put me in that situation. I love it. And like I said, uh, and you know, and to have, you know, them score a goal and brought, or we scored a goal and they got brought back, and then they scored a goal. We were back and forth. Oh, we lost. We won. It's back. But you know, I think that was hyped up a lot too. But. I can remember when that puck come up there and Gary Korob was beside me. I like jumped three feet in the air to grab it and put it down, and I just wailed it in. And when it went in, it was just the greatest feeling ever. So take me back to the day the the suspension was reduced and you were able to rejoin the team. What's your initial reaction? Who's the person that contacts you to tell you that it's been reduced? And and what's the reaction when you walk into that Ranger locker room for the first time? Well, you know, it's, uh, it was my agent that, that kind of, you know, I went and met with, um, uh, I can't remember, I think it was, who was the president there? I think it was John Ziegler. Ziegler, yeah. yeah. We went and met with them and kind of told, told our story and stuff like that. And then they came back and then I went in there and then they told us that it was a 40-game suspension. You know, unfortunately, I needed to have a shoulder operation anyway, so it kind of, played itself out, but it was my agent that kind of told me, and, and like you said, there's another thing I had to live with. You know, am I, am I out for the year? Am I going to play again? You know, it's, uh, like, I, you know, I think about what I went through, you know, it, it was, you know, it was a lot of, and I was still a kid at that right. time, you know, but, you know, once I found out that I could get back with the teammates, then it gave me something to, something to drive for, you know, and, I can remember I had my operation, and I went to my agents and lived at his place in St. Catharines, Ontario, and I just started training. You know, they let me, you know, I was allowed to come in not to practice. I mean, I'd come in and see the guys once in a while to check up with the doctor for a day or two. And then with, the, you know, having the two Swedes there and stuff and Freddie Sherrill, it was like, this is what I wanted to get back to. You know, I wanted to get a part of that. And I could hardly, you know, I was just fighting at the bit to get back and to prove to the New York fans that, I still wanted to play there, and I, and I, you know, I wanted to make up for, for everything. And, and like I said, it was just that part to get in shape and come back. And I can remember the first game I played was just to put that jersey back on and to get back on that ice was something else. 
You know, it's interesting because you scored 36 points in, the, in those 40 games. Then you had an additional 12 points, including seven goals in the playoffs and that amazing run to the finals. Those are, are good numbers for someone who's missed an entire half of a season. How much of that success? You know, I have to imagine also that there's also some apprehension. Now that you've been out for a half a year, you had this so- shoulder injury, I have to imagine that there's maybe some self-doubt. How much did putting up those numbers alleviate the self-doubt in yourself that, okay, I'm back, I'm still the same player? Well, you know what? Yeah, like, I mean, just, you know, if I would have came back and had a terrible year, I mean, holy Christ, that would have been, you know, unforgivable for me. But you know what? I had, you know, I had to get on with my life. I had to talk myself into it. I never had any help. This was on me, but I kept saying to myself, you know, I'm going to come back and I'm going to give everything I got. You know, I want to make it up to my parents. I want to make it up to my family. I want to make it up to the Ranger fans. I want to make it up to my teammates. I want to be back part of it. You know, because I went through a year of hell. And, and it was that's what I wanted to do. And to come back and have a good start was so important to me because it would make things, you know, my transition easier than if I would have come in and not scored a goal in 20 games. You know, Don AJ Carter, you talked about how things are different now. There's a greater support network, and there wasn't then. What type of contact did you have with your teammates during the suspension? Were they supportive? Did they call you? Or when you walked back in the day after the suspension was over, was that the first contact you'd had with them? Well, I'll tell you what. The, the only person that was, that was pretty was outstanding for me was Phil Esposito. Right from the day one, Phil Esposito was, was, was great for me. As far as my teammates calling and checking up to me, you know, honestly, there, there wasn't a lot of it. You know, they were busy playing and stuff. And, and you know, like if I came into town to see the doctor, they'd let me go to the game. The guys would all come to me, and they were good on that way. But, yeah, I, AJ, I was on my own, and I'm not afraid to say that. I handled this and had to deal with this on my own. You know, like I said, nowadays they've got therapists. They'll send you to a treatment center. They'll 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 get you mentally prepared, and, and, and people keep forgetting I'm still a kid, yeah. and I put all that stuff on my shoulders, all that ache in my stomach, and still try to play in the National Hockey League, and I'm not looking for sympathy, I'm just letting people know what I went to. Yeah, because it's a, it's a totally different time that people are not right. really attuned. Like they, they, they brush it off. Like all right, he had his. Like well, I mean, now even, people even, get suspended. Even, even they, today, right. there's a almost a formula. You know, right. the offense. Here's the offense. PEDs. There's this suspension. That right. it's like almost. You know, it's there's there. A, there's a, a guideline. And, a and guideline. this was a for, and they they did. There's no question about it. They wanted to make an example of you. They wanted right. to be the sport that had zero tolerance, and they made you the right. example. And you're right, as a young kid, it's very difficult, and it's the first time in any sport that they did that. Um, you know, like we mentioned, you come back and you have success. Then as a Ranger in 1980-81 season, you'd set a club mark record for the most single-season game-winning goals in a season nine, later tied by Mark Messier and Yarmir Yager. That's pretty good company, yet 56 games into that season, one of which you had scored 23 goals for the Rangers, they traded you to the Edmonton Oilers for Cam Connor and a third-round pick in the 81 draft. First of all, were you shocked by that trade? Did you, you, you know, feel it was coming at all? And, you know, you, know, you look at that trade, and obviously it's extremely one-sided. Cam Connor, although a good hockey player, is more a physical type of player. He wasn't ever going to be the scorer you were. Were you shocked by that trade? Absolutely. Like yes. I said, you know, my, my stats were, were, were 
were good. You know, I mean, like, you know, I never scored under 20 goals in a season. Like you said, my stats were good. I, like, you know, I, I, I was surprised, you know, and then to get traded for, you know, nothing against Cam Connor in a third-round pick, you know, that, that, that hurt. You know, I mean, you know, uh, you know, New York was where I, where I am and I always will be. And, you know, like I said, and it was eight minutes before the trade deadline, so we all thought it was okay. But when I was called off the ice, I, yeah, I was definitely in shock. You know, it, it hurt. Nobody loves to leave New York. <laughs> you know, you took me listening, but you ended up in a situation, Edmonton, this is really the beginning of an Edmonton team, Mark's saying something about this, that is really on the rise. I mean, the Islanders are starting their cup years, and the Edmonton would come along a few years after that. So they're starting to build the team. So did you think about that when you were traded? This is a team, I'm going from the Rangers in New York, which I loved, to at least a team that's trying to do things and get a lot better, or is it just, um, you know, I'm leaving New York, and that's, that's a tough pill to swallow? Well, no, like I said, I knew I was, you know, that part of it, you know, the other part of it, I knew it was going to be a great team. You know, I can remember, you know, you know I, Mark Nessie is my uh, second cousin. You know, we talked and stuff, and I knew there was greatness on that team. That part of it was good, but you know, there's, uh, you know, you go, you go there, and, and, and things started out good. I had a good ending with them, start the season with them. Told I was promised I was going to play with the great one, you know. But there was just so many good hockey players there that, holy, like their scouting staff should be patted on the back. <laughs> you I mean, think <laughs> their third round picks were great? Their fifth round picks were like first round picks. Their seventh round picks were like second round picks. You know, just every year another group of not one or two guys, but three or four would come in. You know, you get there, you've got Coffey, you've got, you know, Messier, Gretzky, you've got, you know, the next year, you Glenn Anderson, and then you got coming in Yuri Curry, Esteteke, and it just never stopped. <laughs> no, unbelievable. You know, it was, it, was, it was a tough team to, uh, it, was, it was, yeah, you could see the greatness there. And, and you know, Glenn Sather, you play my way or you don't play. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, you know, know, that's a whole different story there, too. You know, it's interesting because for me, it's beyond comprehension that you played your last NHL game at the age of 25. That season you scored nine goals, had 22 points in 49 games. You never make it back to the NHL. And here's what's odd to me, because at that point you're, you're a member of the Detroit Red Wings. Um, you're in their minor leagues for three years. Um, yet, you know, the following year after you at age 24 had scored nine goals and had the 22 points in 49 you know, games, the guy they signed to replace you, who I love as a player, nothing against him whatsoever, but Reggie Leach at that point was seven years older than you. Were you surprised that you were buried then in that Redwood Red Wings organization? And did anyone from the Red Wings say, "Listen, we need you to do this, this, and this to get back to the, the NHL"? No, you know when I went to Red Wings organization, that organization, and I'm not making excuses for me. Trust me, it was in disarray. I mean, the ownership was in disarray. Um, you know, the coaching staff, I think, I can't remember, Maxson got fired. You know, they traded uh, Felino and Dale McCourt. Uh, Danny Garrett come in, a great friend of mine. He wasn't happy to be there. That whole, at that time, that whole organization was, was off the grid. It, it, was, it was a complete disarray there. For what they started to do, it, it didn't really surprise me, you know. I think they were just trying to get people back in the building, and they would have grabbed anybody with any kind of a name. Hmm. But it, it was it, that year, that was a frustrating year. That, that team was in bad shape, to be honest. 
Last 37 games of your professional career spent as a member of the Toledo Gold Diggers, uh, playing for then a 38-year-old Pete Mahovlich, who actually played some games as well in the ECHL. You then coached in the ECHL, had a great season making to the finals. You also did some scouting work for Tampa Bay under you know, then general manager Phil Esposito. Did coaching and scouting provide you maybe a different sense of accomplishment in the game that you know, kind of filled that void of not being able to do certain things on the ice but be able to find a certain player for the Tampa Bay organization or coaching a team to make it to the finals? Well, absolutely. Like, you know, I, and again, I, I, you know, Phil Esposito, here he is again taking care of me, you know. He's the guy that when he went to the GM of the Rangers, you know, called me up out of the blue and said, hey, I need a scout out. I was living in Detroit out in the Ontario League. And he, and he put me out there as a, as a scout looking at college players and stuff and doing some of the OHL. And then the next year, you know, he put me on full time. And then obviously Phil, you know, gets let go. And then I remember we kept in contact and he kept saying, I'm going to get this lightning team, you know. And, and the, you know, once he got that lightning team, I, I was like outside of his brother Tony, I was the first guy he called, he told me. I can remember, you know, the phone rang at 1 o'clock in the morning. And I looked down at it and it's Phil, you know. And he says, Bud, get ready. You've got to get your scouting shoes on. He says, we've got this franchise. And, and like you say, to go scouting, and, and, and like you say, it was a great void for me. It, it saved my life being able to go scout, you know, as many years as I did in the NHL. And, and, and to work for Phil, and, and like you say, to be a part of, you know, watching these young kids going to hockey games and getting paid for it, that's, just, that's the second best thing of playing, you know. And, and it was great to, to go out there and, and and, and be a part of it. And like you say, the draft players will see them come along. You know, like, you know, the 94, or 2004 Tampa Lightning Stanley Cup. I mean, there was 11 guys on that team that, that I had drafted, and I was the director of scouting for them. So, yep. yeah, there was a big accomplishment to it, that's for sure. Awesome, Don. I speak for many Ranger fans when I say this. Although you were only a Ranger for four years, you left a tremendous lasting impression. The name Don Murdoch instantly brings smiles to Ranger fans of a certain age. You see it on Facebook. I have to thank you, first of all, for your time tonight. Um, four great years as a Ranger. Uh, you know how much I look back on that team, and you and I spoke. But uh, thanks yeah. so much for, for joining us tonight. We really appreciate it. Well, thanks a lot, Mark. Thanks for having me on, and Thanks to all the fans in New York that keep in touch with me. I appreciate it all. Take care, guys. Thank you, you got so it. Much. We'll speak again soon, Donnie. Be good. Thanks, Mark. Bye-bye. You got it. Don Murdoch, former New York Ranger.